2022, as my grandmother used to say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I'm happy to see it end. I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, December 17th, 2022, and this is episode 199 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is... Well, there's a lot of this week's best things. I got my edit letter from my editor for the Black Towns book, which is my second book uh, from Orbit, uh, Red Hook Publishers on the contract. And it was basically as expected. Like, I didn't know exactly what she was going to say, but I knew she would have lots of things to say because that book was just not... I struggled a lot with it and I was, I knew I was struggling and I knew I had to have some space and time and feedback and guidance and I've gotten that. So I, I didn't disagree with anything she said. It was a four page edit letter and we're going to have a conversation this coming week to just flesh it out. And yeah, she's on point. She's right. I'm going to take this weekend and reread the manuscript because I haven't laid eyes on it since October. I, I turned it in October 1st. So since September, really. And. You know, I, I know I'm not going to be able to come up with a plan immediately. I'm going to have to take some time and do some brainstorming, and we'll get into all of the revision things when the time comes. But I, I do have a process that I go through, in addition to the normal chaos of my my writing process in general. But it's a relief to have the feedback, and I don't have a date yet, so I'm sure we'll talk about that this week. Sometimes, you know, um, when you're in in the thick of it and things aren't going the way that you want them to go, you feel a little hopeless, you know, and and that's why I'm grateful to have editors and alpha and beta readers, people to give me feedback. That's why I think we all need feedback. I think there's some books where you turn in and you're like, this book is great. I don't think my editor is going to have anything to say. Of course, they still have things to say. And sometimes you you feel some type of way about that. This was not one of those situations. If you've been listening, if you listened while I was struggling with the book, you'll know it was a hard one. And so I, I definitely knew that it wasn't one of those situations where like you come back feeling that you've done something great and just just a few, you know, polish off the, the edges type situations. It's not a total rewrite either, which I'm glad, you know, I didn't get that from her feedback. I do think some characters are going to be completely rewritten. Like after I got the feedback, I called my brother because at this point he's the only other person who's read it. And we talked through it and he was like, oh, okay, I see what she's saying. My brother's feedback and my editor's feedback were very different. And I think they're both valid, but you know, you have to weigh what I want the book to be and what changes am I going to make to get it closer to that thing and also closer to a thing that people will enjoy. And so we brainstormed some, um, some just initial ideas just off the top. So yeah, just bouncing on ideas off of someone, being able to talk through it with someone, also super helpful. So yes, I'm grateful it wasn't a painful edit letter. It, the only painful thing is the thought of how am I going to fix this thing and turn it into something that I'm really proud of and that I'm really excited about getting out into the world and for all of you to read. So just one of the additional challenges of, of being a writer. Other best things this week. I wrote 12,000 words on Beastly Kingdom, the current manuscript. I'm on track to finish the fast draft in the next few days, this coming week. And I want to really be aggressive about revising it. A, because 
I want to get the book out as soon as possible. And B, because I do want to then uh, focus my energy onto the Black Towns book. And trying to do both for any length of time is not going to be a good idea for me. So I was thinking even before I got the edit letter, can I revise this book in four weeks? Now that I have the synopsis and I feel like really on track, it's aggressive. I'm going to give myself probably four to six, but I would love to have it revised by the end of January. And so that is going to be my goal. Knowing exactly what I need to do, having a plan to do, you know, X number of scenes per day, if it's one or two scenes a day, and then giving myself the actual time to do that. So not scheduling other things. Um, I'm going to have to be really focused about it. It's possible. Like I said, aggressive, but I would, I would love not to have it linger. Uh, and, you know, then have someone else look at it, probably do another passive revision after that, all the editing things and get it out into the world. There's other good business news this week that happened. Um, and it's Christmas. So that's good. <laughs> I talked last week about not having a lot of Christmas spirit. I did do some shopping. I did most of the shopping. I have a couple of other things to get in real life. I did all of my online shopping, like just skating in under the deadline of when things could get shipped in time. Um, so that's sort of a weight off a little bit. And I'll be excited to, you know, have my family come through. My brother's coming into town. We're having our family Christmas Eve party that's back in effect after, you know, COVID shut it down. So there's things to look forward to and there's things to be grateful for as always. I do have some announcements. Um, just a reminder that this episode 199 is the last of this year. I'm taking the next two weeks off, coming back at you in early January with episode 200. And I'm really excited about that. I'm not doing anything super special for 200, but just acknowledging it as a milestone and hopefully having it be another like entry point. So on my website, if you go to lpnlp.com slash podcast, um, you know, it's like, if you're new here, you can start. And I think I'm starting right now with episode 150. I think it's good for people to have an entry point for new people coming to the podcast to try to a reintroduction. Some people will start at the beginning, no matter what, and more power to you. Uh, you'll be listening to this sometime in 2025, I guess. I don't know. But um, for those people who don't want to, offering an entry point and, that, and nice round numbers seem to be a good place to do that. So I'm excited about having 200 episodes under my belt and we'll see what the future holds. Other announcement, my world building checklist is available on the myimaginaryfriends.net site. So you can go there, you can download this one page world building checklist, which is the freebie that I'm giving away to build the list that I want to use for the course that I'm building. I've been doing a lot of work on the course this week. I'm super excited about that. I really have a lot of energy behind it. And I'm hoping to launch it in January. So we probably late January-ish, but we'll see what happens with that. But I've been organizing myself. I've been figuring out what worksheets I want to create. Like I want to do like a, a workbook and the methodology for doing that. I'm really excited about I've been working on design and branding and things that make me happy. <laughs> I like design. I'm not a designer, but I've been building websites, working both with designers and designing them myself and then customizing and implementing templates for almost 20 years. It's like 19 years at this point. No, 2023 will be 20 years that I've had my business. I started in 2003. And that's crazy. Um, but so even though I'm not like a trained designer, I don't have that background. I'm not the best designer. I like it. And it makes me happy. And I think I can come up with every once in a while some really good stuff. So 
I bought this sort of like branding tutorial thing using Canva and I redid the My Imaginary Friends logo. I built the website, started building it out and, you know, just thinking about how I want everything to look. And even though it can be like a distraction and procrastination from the actual meat of the course, it's also one of those things that keeps me energized and keeps me wanting to do it. And I have to balance things between you know, my energy levels of a thing I want to do, but is going to take more focus and maybe not bring me joy to a thing that maybe is less important, but brings me joy and keeps me motivated and energized. And playing in Canva and doing design stuff is that for me. So there is a a course that I've bought and haven't taken, but I want to take from um, author Aaron Bowman, who is a trained graphic designer on design for authors. So if you are an author and you are you know, not feeling super confident in your design skills. And there are tools like Canva that make it really easy for us to make our own graphics for promos and social media and things like that. This is a course that uh, I have bought and I'm excited to take. I can't fully recommend it since I haven't done it yet, but it exists. And so take a look at it. (laughs) I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, the point was, (laughs) if you would like to get on the list, uh, download the world building checklist, The Footnotes newsletter is sort of the revamped version of the show notes for the podcast, which I've been sending out for a while. And I'm, I've always, I've always been collecting, you know, through the week, I'll collect links. I created the second brain. I've done a podcast episode about that in the program notion where I can keep a database of all the links, videos, workshops, webinars, notes from those things, notes from courses. I keep them all together now. And they have a tagging system. They have a categorization system. But it's a way to capture all of the things that I was putting into my brain like every day. Like I'm always interested in things. And if I read an article and then two weeks later, I'm like, oh, I, I thought I had an article about that, but it's gone. I, I was searching my you know, Google Chrome history, trying to find these things that I read and then I found Second Brain and I started making the database. And then I came across the idea of, oh no, you should also be using what you collect. Like it's fine to collect it and I have the need to collect it, but I can actually, I can actually share it with other people. And so there is this article I read uh, called The Release Ratio, How to Make Use of Everything You Know. And I think I found that after I'd already decided to change the footnotes newsletter, but it just reinforced the idea that if you're the type of person who likes to collect information and knowledge, then as opposed to just having it in this database that no one else has access to, I can pick things out that I think will be useful to other people and send them to them every week. And it accompanies the show notes. The show notes are at the bottom. And also it'll just going to be the way that I communicate about the classes and templates and other things that I'm planning to offer. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And this was like kind of the first step, like posting about, that's what I did this week, posted about the checklist being available and getting people, you know, gaining interest in that. So anyway, all of that to say, go to myimaginaryfriends.net, download the world building checklist, you'll get on the footnotes newsletter and it'll be fun. I hope you enjoy the newsletter. And if you do, I would love testimonials for the newsletter. We have building a landing page for it also. So if you find it helpful or interesting in any way, you can uh, hit reply. If you're on the newsletter, just send me a note, email me at hello at lpenelope.com. That would be wonderful. And thank you so much. So my writing update, things are going well. I think I mentioned I wrote 12,000 words this week. 
I had done my synopsis, which helped so much. And then I came across this article, which I will put in the show notes on Jade Friedman's blog. It's by author and editor Allison K. Williams. It's called How Writing Your Synopsis Can Fix Your Book. And it is exactly what I was going through this week. Like I realized last week, uh, you know, I hadn't had a synopsis for whatever reason. I don't know why I missed that step, but it's such an important step. And I've just been every day sitting down, writing, looking at the next paragraph that I haven't written yet, fast drafting it, getting it out of my head. You know, a lot of times spending a few minutes thinking about how I'm going to get into the scene, but I'm not even really diagramming or planning or outlining the scene before I write it. I do that sometimes, but right now I'm sort of connecting with the pantser energy that I feel more confident in because I have the synopsis. So I will, like I wrote a scene this week where it's the the dark moment, like all is lost and my characters have been captured, they're imprisoned, and I didn't know how they were going to get out of that situation, but I knew they had to get out. And so I just started writing and I found a way out. And it means that, of course, that I'm going to have to seed these technologies and these ideas, maybe these characters, like as a character just showed up brand new, you know, 60,000 words into the book. We're almost in act three now, brand new character that I'm going to have to seed into the you know beginning of the book. But I find that when you can connect with that pantser energy, which is the same energy that has you writing the synopsis in the first place. I mean, it's that creative spark that you don't know yet what's happening, but something in your subconscious does. But when I connect with that, I realize that I have already seeded certain things. Like it's not like out of the complete blue. There were concepts, there were unnamed characters mentioned in the book previously that now this character who just showed up can be one of those unnamed characters. And so when I revise, it's just about fleshing out, you know, their position, maybe introducing him, giving him at least, you know, one or two walk-bys, like, you know, if it was a TV show, you'd see this character before so that when he comes in at the end, uh, you know him and it makes sense. But it's not completely out of left field, even though I didn't have a name, I didn't know anything about this character other than they were like a shifter, the type of shifter they were, the, the general class of shifter they were in the story about animal shifters. So lots of happy accidents, lots of serendipity. Um, I'm feeling good about it, even though I'm writing very dirty, fast first drafts that are going to require complete rewrites during the revision phase, but it's going really well. And since we are at the end of the year, I've been thinking a lot about doing sort of a yearly recap or review. I used to do blog posts on my website that were kind of yearly recaps. At one point I was doing monthly recaps and that was too much. Then I was doing yearly recaps. And then I stopped because I started the podcast. And I don't I don't know. I um there is this free ebook kind of guide called Unravel Your Year that I saw recommended and I downloaded it. I will put it in the show notes. It's by a woman named Susanna Conway. And um so it's kind of like a a workbook, like a PDF workbook that you can use to reflect on your year and sort of use that to plan your next year. And I do think it's valuable. I don't know if I'm actually going to do it. Like I had high hopes about planning my quarters again, doing some more formalized planning. And then I sat back and sort of was like, hmm, that doesn't really feel right, actually. Like I like the idea of it, but 
there's a lot of resistance to actually doing it. And I don't know that it's the actual kind of resistance that I need to push forward and push through. I feel like maybe I don't need that. I am going to do my production schedule like I do every year for my writing schedule because that helps me to plan, you know, the months I'm writing, which book, what stage each book is in, when do I have to hire my editor and contact them to see and get on the calendar and my proofreader and things like that. I have a cover design coming up for the third book in the Savage City Bliss Wars series. And so I will need to know stuff about book three in order to do the design. Book two cover, been done for months, haven't done the reveal. I won't do it until I have like a better idea of when Beast of the Kingdom is going to come out, but it's a great cover, of course. If you like the first one, the second one will be just as good. And I'm sure the third one will be will be just as good as well. I have a lot of energy today. I don't know why. Do I sound like I'm I'm kind of crazy and like <laughs> really juiced? Because I for some reason I feel very amped right now. Yeah, so I'm going to take a look at this ebook over the next couple of weeks at the end of the year and, you know, see how I feel about unraveling my year. I was reviewing all the things that I did and, you know, I, I'm reworking the events calendar on my website because I've never been happy with the plugin that I was using. So I'm going to try a different one. So I downloaded this year's events so I can archive them and just looking at what I was doing, you know, I did a lot of events. I have a spreadsheet, you know, different podcasts. Virtuous Con, which is coming up again this February 2023, and I think I'm going to be in it again. A very good friend of mine runs it, so put that on your calendars too. I did an event with Rebecca Roanhorse. I did a, a live book signing at Barnes & Noble in Maryland. Date Night, which was a virtual event at Loyalty Books. I spoke for various writing groups. The Imaginarium Book Festival, which is in DC. It was the first year of it being in person, and I'm doing it again next year. Um, the author to writing conference. I did a polycon, which I'm doing again this year live, um, live event in Northern Virginia. And of course, Savage City came out in March. The Monsters We Defy came out in August. I did the National Book Festival, which was like a bucket list thing. I did Capclave. I did, uh, the Penn Faulkner event, which was live in DC and other online events and teaching workshops and, it was full. And 2023 is already starting to fill up. I'm getting things booked on the calendar. Um, mark your calendars for TBR Con, which is another online science fiction, fantasy, and horror con, January 22nd through the 29th. It is free. Tons of great authors are going to be there. We're going to be announcing the panels sometime soon. So check that out. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to have author readings, panels, live podcast episodes, and three live D&D sessions. I had to get out of my D&D group. I, I started D&D for the first time ever. I think it was in 2020, an online group. And I've talked about it before on the podcast. It was it was cool. It was fun. I never feel like, felt like I really understood what I was doing. And I know there's all kinds of like YouTube and like movies or something where you can watch people do D&D. And I think that would really help me kind of figure out. But there's lots and lots of rules too. The point is, I don't know if I'll go, ever go back to D&D. I'm open to it, but I also know that I like to feel like I know what I'm doing. And after like months and months, I was just like, wait, what are the rules again? <laughs> like, how do I, what, what can I, what, what? It was a whole other thing to learn. And I don't know how much brain space I have for it, but it might be fun at a con to watch other people do it. Other publishing world things. 
The USA Today bestsellers list is on hiatus. The woman who had done it for 20 years, who had compiled the list, was laid off in their layoffs. And so now the the list didn't come out for the past two weeks, I think, which is a real bummer for a lot of authors. I mean, it's not necessarily on my radar because I've never been on it, but I do know it is, you know, as opposed to the New York Times bestseller list, which is editorialized, which is sort of like curated. It's not really a list of the bestsellers in order of sales. USA Today was. And so a lot of indies were on the list every week because it was a true accounting of their sales. And so, yeah, I'm hoping it comes back. I mean, most authors are hoping that it comes back. It would be really... It would be really sad if it didn't come back. Like, I don't know why they don't value it um, because authors value it. I don't know if readers value it, but authors certainly do. And maybe if the newspaper doesn't and it's only of value to authors, then, you know, something else will come along. But um, that was noteworthy. And then, you know, this whole AI explosion. It seems like when I go on Facebook, which is like once a day, Everything I'm seeing is AI art. It's amazing, gorgeous AI art. But it does make me scared and sad for real human artists. I mean, it's going to change the game for them in negative ways. And then we've got this chat GPT bot, which I've played around with, which is going to change the game for writers. Um, so I went into chat GPT bot, which if you don't know, it's a way that AI can just write things. I had it write like... Um, a book description based on just a sentence. Like write a book description about, I think I was trying to do for Savage City, for, for Beastly Kingdom, you know, two warriors from different shifter clans, blah, blah, blah. And it came out with something that was actually good. I had it, I was just playing around with it, trying it for a course description for the course I'm building. I know that Joanna Penn, writer and podcaster, who's very pro AI, NFT, like she's pro future stuff that a lot of people are a little bit more dubious about. She had had it generating like a full outline for a book and things like that. And so it's interesting. It's fun to play around with. Like I've played around with Midjourney to create AI art. It would be cool to like not pay a cover designer and just save the money and do it yourself with AI. But at the same time, it's actually really awful. Like I support human artists and there's some things as an artist, not a visual artist, but like I do. I think it's troubling. I think it's troubling that they are, you know, trained on art that is made by real people and those people aren't compensated. There's all kinds of troubling things, but it's true. You're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop this now that it's here. So what do we do? Joanna Penn's, you know, idea is to just embrace it wholeheartedly. And and she says that she is uh, skeptical about some things, but I very rarely hear her be skeptical. Um, there are people who are taking a stand and saying, I will not use AI art for anything. I will continue to support human artists. And, you know, I do respect that. I mean, that's kind of where I would like to be, but human artists are expensive. What is the middle ground? You know, for now, yeah, I'm not going to do like an AI art cover. I guess there's the middle ground of artists who become really good at creating AI, AI art and then charge for that, you know, they have figured out how to do the prompts really well and create these amazing, amazing things. Like my prompts were turning out like weird things that didn't look great, but I haven't spent that much time trying to, trying to do it. So is that the middle ground where artists use it as an assistive device where they, you know, create something and then 
do something manually to enhance it, using their own creativity and their humanness and humanity. Where what are the ethics of that? From just a perspective of I've always hired real artists to do things, and yeah, it's expensive, but I want people to pay for my work. I'm happy to pay other people for their work and their expertise, and all of that. And then you have this thing which is creating such amazing, beautiful imagery. You have to pay the AI who did not pay the artists that it trained on. It's a lot of people are talking about it. There's a lot of really um, fervent opinions, like anything on the internet, right? And it's a conversation worth having to try to figure out where you stand on that. What is your stand going to be? And how long are you going to be able to have that stand? And also, sorry, this episode is so long, but I had all this energy and all this stuff to say, and I'm going to be gone for two weeks. So, Speaking about ethics, I saw an article come out recently about Juno Diaz, who I've talked about on this podcast. I took a class with him in 2013. I took a week-long workshop at Vona. And totally changed my life. I had an amazing experience there. But he was someone who was caught up in Me Too. There were allegations of misconduct made against him. It wasn't anything like criminal, but there were allegations made by several people. And then this article comes out. Um, he teaches at, at a university and the university you know, investigated him and cleared him of everything after their investigation. And there were some really interesting things that came out about the allegations themselves. And I will I will link to the article. You can read it for yourselves. The thing for me and the thing that made me think about ethics is at the time this was happening, this was several years after I'd taken the class, and I was in a Facebook group of other students of his from, from Vona. And there was one woman in there who had been in my class and was a good friend of his who was trying to get people to speak up, like to defend him online when this was happening. And it was really frustrated that nobody would. And at the time, I, I thought about it. I was like, should I speak up based on my experience, my five days with Juno Diaz? I didn't feel comfortable doing that because I couldn't say that, you know, this these five days I spent in his class, I didn't see anything, you know, untoward happening. I, that's not really relevant. Like, it didn't feel like the right thing to do to be like, okay, X, Y, and Z person are saying he did, you know, A, B, and C. When I took his class, nothing like that happened to me. I didn't witness anything like that happening. That didn't feel helpful because I didn't know whether he had done anything or not. I didn't know the women accusing him. But looking back on it, a lot of things are happening in our society because people don't have the courage to speak out. And when is it appropriate to speak out to defend someone who you have some experience with and when is it not? And I'm still thinking about that, you know, like I read this article and part of me was like, like wondering if I should have said what my experience was. I don't know that I should have, I don't know, like I didn't know him well. I couldn't say, oh, I don't believe he did X, Y, and Z. Like I had no idea. It didn't seem in line with the person that I'd known for those five days, but that is obviously not, you know, any sort of evidence or anything. So yeah. It kind of left me reviewing myself and, and where I stand on things and what would I do today? Would it be anything different? Especially considering that, you know, there are receipts for certain things and people say things happened and they have other people have receipts and that those things didn't happen. Or when you dig deeper, it's not at all what it seems like. 
And I feel bad for him to have gone through that. So yeah, thinking about what are the responsibility of people who know people who have been accused? If if it was someone closer to me, you know, if it was a friend, I have a brother, I have a husband, I have men in my life. You know, I do know men who have had accusations against them that have been proven unfounded after the fact. And what is the ethical responsibility? And this is relevant to writing because we are in this place where there's so much flying around. There's so many call-outs, call-ins, and some of them are dubious and some of them are just flat-out lies and false. And there is a consequence to speaking up. There are consequences to sticking up for people who you believe are innocent. And you know, there's plenty of evidence of that. And there's also consequences to not speaking up, to being afraid to speak up because you're afraid of the consequences of speaking up and how that damages your soul to a certain degree. I don't think it was my place to speak up, but thinking about it more, when is it a responsibility to speak up? And what damage do we do to ourselves with our silence? You know, there's plenty of studies that say a lot of the kind of hot button controversial issues in in the media are are promoted by a small minority of very vocal people when the vast majority of people don't agree with it but are afraid to speak out. So these are thoughts that I had as I go through my week and we all have to decide for ourselves what what we're comfortable with, what consequences we are willing to risk for either speaking up or being quiet about the things that we believe in and the things that are important to us. And it's scary. There's so much vitriol in the world. You know, people get threats and doxxed and fired and, you know, their whole lives can be torn apart because of things that they've said, either mistakes they've actually made or baseless accusations. Like it runs the gamut. And some people deserve to have their platforms taken away and some people don't. And as someone with a very small platform, I think about these things and I think about the things that I say and the things that I don't say and the reasons behind them. And it's all just an effort to have more authenticity with myself. I think the most important part about art and being an artist is having authenticity. And so if I were to make a resolution for 2023, it would be to live my life with more authenticity, but also compassion and kindness and finding the intersection that feels right and that feeds my soul and doesn't make me live in fear and um, in regret. So that is it for me for this week. My goals are to keep writing and to relax over the holidays, but also keep working on the things that energize me and keep me going forward. And I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I will talk to you in 2023. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> for episode show notes and design up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. Email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. I would also really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.